Man, guys, I'm late again. This is crazy. I had a full altist moment. So uh, while I wait for any questions anybody has, I, I will tell this story about why I'm late. <laughs> so I've been I've been recording a a video for tomorrow. I think I'm probably just going to post it tomorrow. So that that article I had uh, yesterday, I think, is when I when I released it on scholastic disputation. I I decided that I was going to do a video explaining that because, I mean, some of the concepts are very difficult. So I figured that it'd be very helpful for you guys to have an explanatory video. So I started that explanatory video and I got so engrossed in in um, explaining the ways in which scholastic disputation <laughs> scholastic disputation works. I got so engrossed by it that I didn't even realize that it was already past six o'clock. So I, I'm actually going to now be releasing it in part one and two because I have like the first half an hour recorded to that. And I thought I was, it was going to take me like 20 minutes, but it looks like it's going to take me over an hour. So if you guys like that, then yeah. So no way Militant Thomas actually goes outside. Yeah, believe it or not, uh, I actually spend a lot of time outside. I really like the outside. I, uh, yeah, as, as you see in my office, which is, I think my office is right. I think that's the window. No, it's another one over. So, uh, if you, if, uh, if you really know me, then, you know, I love the outside because, um, I, I don't, yeah, I, uh, I'm an outdoorsman, so I, I do a lot of hunting. So it's you guys are the ones that don't go outside. So you guys should be go, go out, take a walk or something while you listen to this, this beautiful live stream. And uh, are you feeding him butter? Oh, <laughs> Oh, do you need help opening butter? Oh, he keeps grabbing the butter. Uh, my my son's over there. So yeah, I've my my office is uh, is still being uh, converted right now. Um, so I decided that rather than doing it uh, at in the kitchen like a woman, I decided to go outside. You know, this is kind of cool back deck sort of recording. Even smoke out of here if I wanted to. Look at that. Oh, do you have anything to say, Augustine? Is that so? Yeah, he tried to eat the mic, so there's that. So, let's look. Yeah, I'm, I'm very cozy right now. Actually, Lexi, could you give me a cup of coffee? That'd make this perfect. Or, or, or like a sweet tea or something. That'd be, that'd be beautiful. So why are there so many Jesuit moments lately? Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you guys saw, I haven't even actually talked about this at all. This is kind of my first like non like rigid stream that I've had where I've actually been answering questions and such. If you guys saw, this was this must have been what was this like a week ago? Uh, probably around a week ago. I had posted that I was deciding to um to go to a society of St. Pius X mass because uh, the local parish that I had had uh, like, it, it was, it was gross. They had like teenage girls in yoga pants as their lectors. And I didn't even notice it. Like it was my wife who pointed it out to me. Um, I, I didn't notice. And like the, the, the point people were saying like, Oh, you're lusting after like lusting after these teenagers. And I'm like that, that is, that's gross. Like that, that's not the, you guys, if you think the only problem with immodesty is lust, then you don't know the church's teaching on immodesty. 
uh, that that is not that that is obviously consideration when it comes to other situations, not teenagers. Um, but what, when it comes to immodesty, the principal uh, problem with that, with immodesty, is that you aren't. Um, it's it's really a sin against uh, sin against your own body. Is that it's a sin against the dignity of man. You are not dignified. You are not presenting yourself as a dignified person who is made in the image of God. Uh, you're commoditizing, commoditizing uh, uh, I don't say yourself. That, that is the main problem with immodesty. And then, then there was a Jesuit who who said, uh, "What? What did he? What did he say? He said something to the effect of, um, there's a lot of like, be careful. There's a lot of lector teenage girls in yoga pants entering the kingdom of God before you, or something like that." And then. Somebody, somebody responded. He might be in the live chat right now. Somebody responded like, and uh, and there's a sure of a heck of a lot more than them than the Jesuits entering the kingdom of God. <laughs> and then somebody else responded. What was another good one? Somebody else responded, oh, no, I'm going to be entering the kingdom of God far before any of them because I just died from cringe because of this uh, this response that you had. Like, like, And then the Jesuits started like going after. And then... To, to my absolute shock, there was there was two Dominicans that liked the uh, that liked the tweet. Like Dominicans, like you know the guys who who are supposed to be like basically the special forces of theology within the Catholic Church. Like, come on, guys! Like you, you just stop stop teaming up with the Jesuits. Like we give you one job, one job: defeat all heresy. And you team up with the Jesuits. Some Jesuitical tricks. Okay, so um, oh my, you guys are you guys are going off. What is your most recent lifting PR? Not sure. Oh, ho, ho, ho. we're getting John Politis is back. Yes, John. It's been a while since I've since I've talked to you. Um. So I uh, I'm not I'm not sure what you are uh, what you are um, going after right there. Why did the Reformed hate the Jesuits so much during the Reformation? Well, that's because somebody. Um, sorry for uh, for saying that the the Pope. Uh, aired in prudential manner but <laughs> the popes during the time uh in hindsight i'm sure they would have recognized that this wasn't the brightest idea the popes decided that rather than having the dominicans go after the reformed uh besides obviously cardinal cajetan with luther but uh in in the long run they had the jesuits go after the reformed like uh like cardinal bellarmine so with uh with saint bellarmine he there, there's this thing that this is why, for the most reason, I hate calling myself an apologist is apologists usually make the worst theologians. Like, no offense, guys, but apologists, they have to be jacks of all trades, uh, masters of none. So they do not make the best theologians. So uh, when the Reformed were reading St. Robert Bellarmine and were reading some of the other uh, Jesuits who were responding to the Reformed, they uh they were like hey uh you guys aren't that good <laughs> like we 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 are reading uh 
We were reading Banyas. We were reading Cajetan. We're reading all of these base Dominicans, and they're they're really, really good. They are really, really good theologians. Well, that's because that was the Dominicans' job. Their job was to uh, to be basically the teachers of the, the church. They were the theology guys, and the Jesuits were the uh, were the good works guys. They were the spirituality guys. Um, not that there's a huge division between the two, but generally speaking, in broad strokes, they were th- that's the guys that the Jesuits were. So the Jesuits, in uh, in trying to engage in dogmatic theology, were really out of bounds. So they oftentimes didn't do the best job. So the Reformed in their critiques of the Jesuits were right. And I mean, you'll get the same thing. Um, I think this is best illustrated through the issue of the formal cause of justification. So you'll get St. Robert Bellarmine saying that uh, that our charity is the formal cause of justification. Our charity is the grounds of justification. That is really bad. That is really, really, really bad. That that basically uh, causes us to fall into all the critiques that the Protestants have of the Catholic view of justification that it's something which is our own works and our own righteousness. Um, but uh, when it comes to uh, the Dominicans, and, uh, and St. John Henry Newman points this out, he calls the, uh, the Jesuits the extreme Roman school. When it comes to the Dominicans, they're going to say that the formal cause of our justification is the righteousness of Christ, which is inchoate, inherent, and participated, and not something which is, uh, which is a mere imputation, but it's not something which is our own charity. That's that's a really bad thing to say, and I, I I'll explain it uh, some other time probably. But the, yeah, in broad strokes, the the reformed hated the Jesuits because they were right. <laughs> the uh, the reformed were right in their in their dislike of the Jesuits because they weren't the best theologians. So that's kind of why. And then you also had the issue with uh, with uh, being associated with De Molina and Molinism. I'm actually having a video probably come out tomorrow with um with Dr. R.J. Matava, and we're going to be talking about the De Auxiliis controversy and what that went down there. And that's a very interesting discussion that we had. Um, but so it's not exactly right that the that the Jesuits were Molinists, but broadly speaking, yes, that that's the association that should be given. Baby is certainly giving you a run for your money for being the best guy on the stream. Yeah, his name is Gustin. I've had him on streams before. Uh, but now that he's like a little bit older, uh, he likes to grab stuff. So if like, I'm, if I'm drinking like my, uh, this is not LaCroix as some people have so blasphemously said, this is, um, the, uh, this is the, uh, target, right? Oh no, this is gay sparkling water. Dang it. No tranny sparkling water. I think target was the, was the tranny company, but yeah, if, if I'm drinking my, my, my sparkling water, he will just go and grab it. And he'll just like grab it, try to like pour it all over his face, like throw it on a computer. I don't, I don't know that that's what he would do. And I, I can't, <laughs> I can't hold anything when I, when I'm holding him. So the microphone would not work well with him. So that is, that is why I usually don't have him on, on streams as much as I used to. But if I, if I had, I need to get a, like a mic stand or something Then maybe if I had like the mic up here, then maybe that would that would work out, but uh, having him with me it does not work out. But um, yeah. But what it's kind of funny. <laughs> I, I noticed this pattern. Um, every and you see that I'm not that I'm not abusing this trick. 
but every time I would bring on Augustine onto the stream, I would somehow get get another patron. Like it it was it was it was really funny. It was like a cause and effect thing. Is somebody would become my patron when I'd bring Augustine on the stream. So he's he's the money maker, right? <laughs> so if I was really trying to abuse that loophole, I'd bring him on on every stream. So you see that I do have uh, I do have some shred of of um of morality in me. Okay. So good evening, my lords. Based. Kyle based. Oh, John Politis is going on. Uh, on Jesuit moments, I learned that while he wasn't a Jesuit, Pope Pius VI went to Jesuit college at age 10. It's okay, though. It was the 17th century, so the Jesuits were still based. Pope Pius X, I mean the 6th, went to a Jesuit. Oh, yeah, Pope Pius X definitely did not go to a Jesuit college. Um, did you end up going SSPX? Yeah, I wanted to clarify on that. That's that's good that you asked the question. I I disagree with the SSBX. Um, I disagree with uh, some of their. I like. I think uh, Dignitatis Humanae. I I think Dignitatis Humanae. Uh, I take uh, Pink's reading of it that it is actually in continuity with uh, with the previous tradition, especially with Pope Leo the Thirteenth. So that, and I, I disagree with their with their views on the Novus Ordo, that the Novus Ordo, while being valid, is something which uh, which ought not to oblige to fill, fulfill your Sunday obligation. I, I, I disagree with those things. But the reason that uh, I'm going, I didn't go last Sunday because I was in Maryland, so I just, uh, I, I didn't go to, to a, a parish um, in North Carolina while I was in Maryland. But uh, the reason I'm going to to start going uh, there is because uh, I really have no other option. So it's most prudent uh, decision. So I hope that clarifies things for everybody. We'll put Michael come back. Um, not sure. Uh, there wasn't as much interest I noticed in my last one. But, but I think it might also had to had to do with uh, the Holy See of Topeka, Kansas, and their internet service. It wasn't too great, so it was it was he kept cutting in and out. That was a bit difficult um, to to understand what he was saying. Uh, so that might have had something to do with it. But it didn't seem there was as much interest in in the last time he was on. So I don't I don't know if that kind of kind of like it was cool one time then the second time it's kind of like oh, okay yeah we've already we've already seen the holy father on, on militant thomas channel it's not something which is cool anymore i don't know so maybe i'll reach out to him and, and talk to him I, I i just don't know it depends on how much uh you guys are demanding me to bring him back home oh man when is the other paul becoming catholic uh I hope soon everybody pray a rosary for the other Paul. He'll really hate it. The Reformed hated the Jesuits partially because the Jesuits really, really hated the Jansenists, which is the group closest to the Reformed. Yeah. I don't know, but the J the Jansenists are I need to do more reading into the Jansenists. Maybe that'd be a cool like like a series to do just on the Jansenists. They're such a very peculiar group because yeah you could say they're like the reformed in a certain sense but the jesuit like the jansenists were much more extreme than the reformed they went like so many different we they had so many like weird peculiarities 
like about like downplaying the sacraments and stuff like that. It was it was really weird. And uh yeah, it was it was just really, 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 really weird. The Jansenists. They're just a whole can of worms. William Mormon, pictures of human beings are immoral and call sin the viewer. The stream is immoral. All the photos in your phone are immoral. The picture of your mom in my living room is immoral. All are immoral. It's uh, interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. Mormon. <laughs> yeah, uh he's he's a friend back from maryland who's who's uh getting received at the easter vigil with me he, we have a mutual friend who uh who brought forth a theory about the um the fact that photos are immoral so that was that was very interesting jump Lightus is spazzing oh he is like what the what the heck he's still going on yo context missing talking about paul yes yes um are those miraculous medals yes i have saint john henry newman saint thomas aquinas and then our lady paul may be protestant but i doubt he just spill water spilling water i'm confused Thoughts on the Econ consecration since you've decided to become an SSPX set a cringe LARPer bad band rad tread gross rad bad guy. Um, thoughts on the Econ consecration. You know, I'm going to take my... Why do I even have these headphones on? It's not like I have to listen to anything. Oh, I just it, oh, I just look weird without the headphones. There. It, it has to do with the aesthetic at this point. I can't. I can never take them off. <laughs> Okay, so with the account consecrations, it's it's very interesting because you have to admit this was the late '80s. This was during the uh, the Assisi um, prayer meetings. This was like for Archbishop Lefebvre, who grew up in early 20th century Catholicism, who was was buddy buddy with like all of the major anti modernist pope. Well, not all the anti modernist popes, but the man, but Pope Pius XII, he he saw the the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, the Holy Father, worshiping with other religions. So you you have to think in his mindset that this basically was the end of the world for him. And I I agree, it was not. It definitely was not a good thing. Um, and I think we're starting to come to the tail end of a lot of this, a lot of uh, the crisis of the church. But that's a story for another day. But you have to see that he saw grave necessity and and even in canon law when you have the um when you, when you have something which you believe to be grave necessity out of a certain fear uh in his fear of the complete collapse of the church after his death um because really um he had a few bishops uh, who were joining him, but it wasn't the mass uh, joining of bishops like he thought it was going to be. 
so he had a fear that basically the church was a church was a goner and uh he had to do all he could do um to to save the church um so because of this grave necessity uh he would not be held canonically liable for the for the penalties um which were given to him so the, the cone consecrations while I, I don't think they were a good idea. I, I, I'm not saying that this was a good idea, but I think we have to have some context and be able to understand it from, from his point of view. Because he, like, if you read, um, I've actually read some Lefebvre recently to kind of get in the mind of of the good archbishop, because he was a wonderful, wonderful man, um, regardless of the disagreements I have with him. And if you read the open letter to confused Catholics, open letter to confused Catholics and, and hear some of the stuff that was going on in 1970s, 1980s France. It was nuts. It was absolutely crazy. You had bishops who were using like cakes uh, rather than wafers for uh, the Holy, Holy communion. You had like bishops just changing like the consecration services, like to like, from from a like completely invalidating the form it wasn't even like close it was like i like send you off to be a helper to the workers like obviously clear communist influence or to be among the workers or something like it was just nuts what was going on and then you have archbishop lefebvre here like an arch conservative and he's seeing all this around him and it, it literally looked like the end of the world to him he did not have the same context we have he did not he he does not see the polls where most of the priests now in their 20s and 30s are uh, are very conservative and it's really just the uh, the older crowd of of the bishops and cardinals uh now which are uh which which are still of that uh more liberal mindset like we we have we've basically overcome the crisis in the church and it's just really uh, as bad as it sounds it's just a matter of people dying uh, so i i'm much more white pilled than lefebvre was but Lefebvre, he did not see all that stuff. He basically saw the end of the world coming around him. He he probably thought like <laughs> that our Lord was going to come back at any second because of how bad things were looking um, during the 70s, 70s and 80s. And and he and that caused him to have a lot of um, a lot of overreactions on certain points, which I completely understand why he had that. Like if I did not have the the context of the last. 30 40 years um then i'm sure i would think the exact same way as archbishop lefebvre did so yeah i i think i think there needs to be a more uh nuanced approach to um to thinking about lefebvre So I honestly can't judge you for going to an SSPX chapel because you have a family. I don't know if there's grace in their sacraments given their disobedience. Yeah. So uh, think, thinking through that issue. Um, yeah. I've just, I've listened, I've read a lot of articles and listened to a lot of uh, debates about, uh, about the SSPX and their current position. But I know, I know two things. I know first I'm going to, uh, be getting valid absolution because of uh, the jurisdiction that's been given to them by the Holy Father. And I know second, 
that I can get a valid Eucharist. And you say, hey, wait, uh, not not only a valid Eucharist, but a licit Eucharist. You say, hey, how how do you how do you know that? It's only been given for marriage uh, uh, and confession. Well, dummy, what happens at a wedding? <laughs> a nuptial mass happens at a wedding. So are, are you really thinking that what the Holy Father is saying is that they can go to, they, they can be witnessed by an SSP, SSPX priest, but you just can't do the rest of the service? Come on now. That, that's just stupid. Ob- obviously, there's this understanding that um, you can you validly and licitly uh, receive marriage, the Eucharist and penance, which is basically really uh, all, all I need, I guess, at this point in my life. So let us continue. And and again, I'm I'm just going to an SSBX chapel. So, like for example, when I have when I have another kid, uh, probably be baptized by an ordinariate priest um, because I am a member of the ordinariate. What's your favorite Eastern Catholic Church? I'm not really an Eastern uh, Catholic Church uh, stan. Like, uh, it, it doesn't really. I mean, I obviously, uh, I think they're cool and everything, but it's not really something I'm particularly interested in. So I don't really think I have a favorite. Elijah, I'm still here. Thank you, Elijah. Did you ask a question that I didn't answer? Let me. Uh, let me look. Elijah, he's he's my number one fan. He's here for everything. We'll put Michael come back. I already answered that one. I don't see any. Maybe he got lost in all of the uh, the John Politis messages. How did you land that interview with Pope Michael? Um, I messaged him on Facebook. And then he left me on red. So I messaged him a second time and he left me on red. So I messaged him a third time and he finally responded. That That's how it works. The other Paul needs to reject his heresies. He is pretty based. Yes. Yes, he does. When will he become Orthodox? Never. I mean, it was people were being so rude to me. Um, the, like the last week, people have just been getting all their rage out on me. I've no idea why. And people will like send me uh, other people's tweets if they're tweeting about me and like just not tagging me because they're effeminate and um, and uh, probably secretly a woman. Um, so they'll they'll send me these. And they're like, yeah, he's going to apostatize or like, yeah, he's going to convert away in like a week and like. I can't wait to see him become atheist. And I'm like, bro, you can't wait to see me become atheist. Like that, that's, that's a pretty, pretty bad uh, statement because uh, by saying that you've made yourself a practical atheist. So uh, it, it, I don't, I don't really let it bother me. Um, so yeah, people were, people have been saying like, Oh, he's going to become orthodox next week. And, 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 and uh. like, I don't, I don't take, Criticism from inferior men who won't even tag somebody. Okay, Christian B. Wagner, what would you do if you became Pope? <laughs> what, what would I do if I became Pope? Like they, like the papal conclave just calls me up next week and is like, "Look, uh, Francis has died, and we have elected you Pope because actually any 
a validly baptized Catholic male can become Pope. So I could technically happen. It's not going to happen, but it could technically happen. So I go to the Vatican. Um, I roll up, start, start living there. The first thing I would do would be to disband the Jesuits, um, excommunicate a long list of people, shut down most of the Catholic universities. Um, yeah, I think shutting down the Catholic universities is a huge part of it. Like I think, uh, they're honestly the most dangerous thing to the Catholic faith right now is the universities and a lot of the seminaries because that's where they're still trying to brainwash. And obviously they're failing because uh, because of the uh, sort of traditionalist or at least moderately conservative revival that's that's been going on in the last few decades. So they're failing, uh, but still disbanding them would help a lot. Uh, and then uh, liturgical reform. But I think uh, pedagogical reform would really be at the, the top of my list and uh, disbanding the Jesuits and uh, just like excommunicating all of the, the German bishops, um, uh, firing like 75 percent of the cardinals, just uh, weighing la uh, laying waste the episcopacy, because honestly, a lot of the issues has to do with the, the leadership and then the universities. So, yeah. And then I would probably just try to escape death all the time. Uh, always have a food taster because I mean, you, they're, they're, you can't do stuff like that without like magically dying within a month of your papacy starting. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, be like, uh, uh, what's his name? Vigano uh, be like Vigano and just have nobody know where I am all the time uh, at the, uh, at the, um, the time when the Pope goes out and uh, gives his, gives his blessing. Uh, I would turn my back to to Rome just to be base trad pope like all like the uh the the uh the uh like the captivity of the popes um what what I can't remember the technical name of that like from from the time of I think it was up to like Pius the 11th where they would turn their backs on Rome because to to show that they they didn't think Rome that Italy was a valid country oh thank you honey she got me some iced tea just to show that I didn't think Italy was a valid country because I don't, uh, that, that all should be the, the Pope's land, man. He should be the monarch of the entire peninsula. So that, that's, that's all the stuff I would do. So if anybody has connections with some of the college of Cardinals, make sure you tell them that, that, uh, they should, they should, uh, elect me. What Bible translation do you use? Dewey, Septuagint. Um, Oh, mostly just the KJV. Do you think Dr. Cooper realized that all the heretics you were talking about were prots? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I saw that tweet earlier about, like, uh, heretics on TikTok and stuff like that. Yeah, they are uh, they're all Protestants. But, I mean, that's that's a difficulty I have because it's like, how, are, how the heck are we defining Protestants? I, I think... Honestly, I think all of the the uh, the true Protestant or truly Reformed, truly Lutheran, confessional Lutheran, they all honestly should just find a new word at this point. At this point, just literally find a new word. Like you're not being helpful, or like when they when they call themselves uh, Catholic, for example, like just just find a new word. Like in like you you're just butchering the way in which language works by just trying to reappropriate terms that never that don't apply to you anymore like for 99.9 percent .9 of the population when they say catholic 
they're thinking of the Roman Catholic Church. Then you're like, oh, well, no, technically. Come on, dude. Find a new word. Like You are not being helpful at all. Um, I see the point you're making. I, I definitely do. But with your new term, try to establish that same point. Try to establish the same point. Okay. Um, from your Catholic perspective, uh, how did JP2 not commit apostasy at Assisi? Nobody judges Rome. Nobody judges the Apostolic See. So uh, that's the principle I hold to. I don't judge the Apostolic See. I think Lefebvre being scared is just pure BS. Well, I'm, I'd be happy to talk about it. I think, I think, generally, I, I don't think you can argue that it's BS. I mean, I you could argue uh, from from the canonical perspective of what the canons mean by uh, by by doing something through necessity, which can be brought about by fear. I, I think there's an argument there. Okay. I think we can say that uh, Lefebvre, I'm assuming you mean Lefebvre, uh, is a great sinner and probably went to hell, but having Latin Mass is a good thing that happened from that. Yeah, I would suggest just um, reading more about the life of Lefebvre. Because I, I had that I had that indication. I don't know. Maybe maybe you you have read a lot about Lefebvre and you're coming that at this from a very um, learned point of view. I don't I don't know. I haven't talked to you about it before, but I I did have that uh, perspective at first when it came to Lefebvre that he was just uh, some evil meanie. But um, but I think as I as I learned more about him, there's a good documentary that the SSPX produced about him that would that's pretty straightforward and pretty objective. It doesn't. Uh, have like SSPX propaganda or anything like that. I think the more you learn about uh, his life and the situation in which the church was in, the situation the church is in now was not the same as back then. It was much worse. I actually, uh, to illustrate, I was talking to a certain popular Catholic theologian who I will not name. Um, and he said that when he converted in the eighties um, to uh, from Protestantism to Catholicism, he obviously noticed the crisis in the church, and he met this nun who was uh, pre-Vatican II, and she was older. And he asked her how the um, how the crisis in the church has kind of changed. Like, how are the how are the seminarians and stuff? She's like, the seminarians uh, right now are a lot better than they were a decade ago. A decade ago, they had gay porn on their uh, walls hanging up now they have straight porn on their walls hanging up so it's uh like obviously in that in that situation which lefebvre was this is what he was seeing around him like he was he he, like any any catholic any faithful catholic this is going to drive you into like absolute emergency mode and uh you can do some uh imprudent things uh that are materially in error without formally being um, being uh, demerit uh, 
demeritorious. I I don't know how to phrase it necessarily. Um, Yeah. So I think this comes uh, especially into uh, an understanding of moral theology and the difference between material versus formal sin. Okay. How old are you? (laughs) Um, I don't reveal my age, actually. Um, I'm in my 20s, if that helps. I'm not a teenager. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't. You, you can do the math from, from some of my previous interviews where I've talked about the timeline of me leaving high school, going to college, and uh, leaving college and such. But, um, yeah, I don't really, really reveal my exact age because, yeah, I, I just I just don't like to do it. I don't think you can really argue that that SPX, SSPX that they're heretics. I think that would be, or even schismatics. I don't think you can argue that they're schismatics. They're in a much different situation than the Orthodox are. I mean, you have the SSPX. They've been allowed to celebrate Mass at at uh, Saint Peter's um, in Rome. So I, they're they're in a much different situation than the Orthodox are. Do I dabble in Bellarmine a lot? Uh, <laughs> you dabble in Bellarmine a lot, but is there anything you admire him or uh, any way he impresses you? Yeah, I, uh, I, I've read um, a lot of the Grant translations of his corpus, um, of Bellarmine's corpus. And while they're helpful, they're very helpful uh, polemically, um, he does play fast and loose a lot with some of his sources. Um, he does quote a lot of forgeries, um, which we can we can look down upon. But I mean, it was we, they didn't have a lot of the uh, modern tools of finding out whether things were forgeries or not. But uh, some of these things, it was pretty obvious that they were forgeries. Um, it's pretty clear that they were forgeries. So you can kind of look look at that a little bit weird. But otherwise, um, his controversies are very helpful. And he was definitely a trailblazer with uh, writing, like he was the first one to write a treatise on the church as a separate, um, as a a separate discipline of a a species of dogmatic theology, an entire treatise on the church that hadn't really been done before. And uh, he treats a lot of questions that I haven't uh, read being treated anywhere else. And if you read a lot of uh, future uh, works on councils and such, this was really, um, really everybody in the future kind of looks back on Bellarmine and uses a lot of his arguments and a lot of his, um, a lot of his, uh, how do, how do I put it? Um, organization of his treatise. So yeah, he's, he's, uh, I don't mean to poo poo on St. Bellarmine. He's a doctor of the church. So I'm, I'm a YouTuber. Uh, there, there's a huge difference between us. But uh, where he does differ from other more learned doctors, um, especially on a lot of issues of dogmatic theology. And yeah, I, I think he's to be he's definitely to be rejected. But uh, in his realm of expertise, which is polemical theology. Yeah, he's, he's pretty helpful. OK. What does an impassable God having wrath means? Okay, so this really gets back to the way in which uh, way in which human language relates to uh, eternal realities. 
So um, think thinking through that. When so so let's the the most blatant example. Let's let's say uh, the fact that God is called a rock. Um, God is called a rock in a different sense that he is called love. I think we can all agree upon that. But God being a rock does have a certain meaning to it. And that might be talk referring to, it refers to a certain um, created perfection, which is found in being a rock. That is, uh, the imperfections are negated, and then it's elevated to the status of the divinity. And in a similar way, we can think about wrath. So when it comes to impassibility, the fact that uh, God doesn't have, uh, God isn't a moody teenage boy is is the is the plainest way I can put it. The fact that he doesn't have uh, emotions in the same sense as we have emotions. Um, so we are denying uh, created imperfections, which are present in in our idea, well, in, in the uh, in the expression of human wrath. So human wrath, there's a few imperfections that are present in there, just like there's imperfections in the fact that something is a rock. So a certain imperfection is that it is a passion. It is something which comes from a uh, comes from something which is um, somatic, uh, which is uh, bodily. It comes from something which is uh, changeable. It comes from um, our wrath comes from the hatred of something, which is uh, the um, absence of, of love uh, where God's is. So so really negating all of these uh, imperfections when it comes to our concept of wrath, what you get with uh, with a concept of divine wrath is going to be that God is uh, willing the removal of evil. That is when you get to the bare bones of this. And Thomas talks about this in Summa Contra Gentiles, book one, chapter, gosh, 90, 90, 91, 92, 93. I think it's those, uh, those four chapters right there is where St. Thomas is going to cover how passions uh, relate to the divine reality. But it does go back to this, um, this, this foundational principle of the relationship between language to God, which is going to get us into the concepts of, um, of analogy. And that's very helpful. Um, uh, I, I did a video um, a few weeks back in my metaphysics series on analogy. So that's very helpful to look at if you go back and look at that. And then also uh, uh, Cardinal Cajetan. Cardinal Cajetan wrote a work on on the uh, various ways in which analogy is used. Now, it might be a little bit if over over a lot of your heads because it is something which is very, very complicated. And uh, having a, a background of philosophy is a must in order to understand Kajetan. But if you can, uh, he is the gold standard. You'll get for centuries after him. And uh, even to our day, uh, people just recommending Kajetan when it comes to uh, the way in which analogy is used in language. Um, and that especially helps. If you don't understand analogy, it's impossible to be a theologian. Like that's how important analogy is to theology. Wait, uh, this is uh, this is said in the art of war. I don't take criticism from inferior men. <laughs> Didn't know that. So why don't I find uh, orthodoxy con uh, convincing? I've heard, I'm not really uh, I'm not really a apologist so this isn't meant to to be like a, an apologetic argument against orthodoxy but um, basically what 
what, when I'm thinking about uh, my allegiance, I have to think about what is the most convincing uh, narrative of reality. So when I think about uh, what is more convincing, the Roman claims of the papacy, of, uh, of doctrinal development, and, um, and such Roman distinctives versus the orthodox claim of, uh, of a more primitivism, um, which uh, is based on a lot of development that they don't even recognize. I, I find that as a less convincing claim. So, I mean, that's just the way in which my mind works through these issues. And I mean, there are certain doctrinal ones, too. Like, if you wanted me to talk about for, like, three hours about the filioque, I'm sure I could. <laughs> um, because Trinitarian theology is something which is uh, which is very dear to me. But, um, yeah, I'm not, not really, again, I'm not really an apologist, expert on orthodoxy. That's just my, my own personal uh, ways of, of thinking about what is more convincing. And that, that might be very... Uh, very um not appealing or uh, not satisfying to you but uh there's much better guys when it comes to uh, arguing against orthodoxy than me so i'd be doing you a disservice by giving my arguments when there's better ones out there brings back papal tiara yes oh my man you've yeah. <laughs> thoughts on the early monoepiscopacy debate so I've been thinking about the early monoepiscopacy debate since I started college because this isn't a new debate. It's a novel one, but it ain't a new one. Um, you had during the, uh, let me think about it, the mid to late 16th century, especially during the early 17th century, there's so much English literature on fighting between Anglicans and um, nonconformists about the monoepiscopacy in the early church. And the, the usual argumentative method was that St. Ignatius and his letters were forgeries. But now they've had to shift the debate um, in recent times. And honestly, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. Um, this might sound a bit crude, but the denial... And sorry, the other Paul, if you're listening, the denial of the monoepiscopacy in Rome in the in the um, early second century is retarded. That that's 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 just it. I, it, like you you have people saying that up until like the 150s that there was no bishop in Rome. It's it, that's just retarded. Um, the arguments from Saint Ignatius of Antioch that he was talking about um, sort of some local presbyters um, is no. <laughs> there's obviously, uh, he assumes that there's one bishop per area and there wasn't just like one parish <laughs> in each of these major cities. Like, no, that, that doesn't make any sense. The argument that St. Ignatius uh, clearly um, does not believe that there's a bishop in Rome. That doesn't make any sense because he's going to Rome to be executed. You think he's just going to name drop everybody in Rome? Like, you know who else he doesn't name by name? Do you know who else? Deacons and presbyters. Like, it's it's a retarded argument. And then you go into the uh, mid-second century with uh, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, and you have him clearly understanding a... Uh, 
and he had been to Rome, um, clearly understanding that there were bishops in Rome. There was a, uh, and then there was a kind of a head bishop in Rome. And uh, other succession lines throughout the late second century, including Tertullian's. And it, it's just on and on and on. There's nobody had even dreamed. Nobody had even dreamed that there was no mono episcopacy in the early church ever until you get to these um, late 16th century debates. So, yeah, the guys who were like literally 50 years removed from this, like, no, 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 they didn't know. But we know. And it all just appeared throughout the entire freaking world. Like, oh, it just must have been an accident. And uh, there were actually secretly Presbyterians in the early church, and they actually secretly um, just had no idea what was going on. And they actually just secretly uh, believed in the divine right of of the Presbytery. And um, yeah, but I'm coming at this from a completely different point of view. I don't even honestly, I don't even uh, bother reading into that sort of stuff. I just recognized at first that it was stupid. So I decided to not waste my time reading it. I'd much rather read like just meditate in prima pars on the nature of God than just spend hours uh, listening to all these stupid arguments about monopiscopacy in the early church. It's just stupid. It's just super stupid. Sorry, that was a bit of a rant. If you were Pope, fix the Novus Ordo by making it mainly ad orientum and revive the Serum Rite. No, I'll make I'll make the Novus Ordo. I'll make a Novus Novus Ordo and just make it the Serum Rite. Next episode: Why Italy isn't a real country. <laughs> yeah, priestly celibacy. You know, I'm not even going to touch that with a with a 500 foot pole. Okay, so. How do you reconcile Dignitatis Humanae um, teaching on religious liberty with the prior uh, church's teaching on the matter? Yeah, so uh, if you look up, I um, can't remember his first name. His last name's Pink. Thomas? I think it's Thomas Pink. He has a few interviews on this matter, and he had a really groundbreaking um, paper on this. Basically, um, in in summary, summary form, because... Um, I have a lot of questions to get to, and I'm kind of running out of time because I don't want this to last much longer than an hour. Um, so uh, Dignitatis Humanae, uh, in summary form, what he argues is that it, all it's saying is that um, the, the civil power um, naturally, the civil power per se in itself, per se from itself, does not have the authority to um, impose impose naturally impose the one true religion, except insofar as the the public good is is damaged. But the state can do it when it receives that authority. So the state in um, in establishing the Catholic faith, it receives that authority from the church and the church has kind of used the state as its secular arm so in punishing heretics and such but uh dignitatis humanae was basically a um a practical and um trying to think disciplinary a practical and disciplinary move where the the church had kind of rescinded that almost blanket allowable of the state to be the secular arm of the church 
So it's not really a change in doctrine at all. This was the same doctrine which was preached by uh, Pope Leo the Thirteenth, and this was the same doctrine which is present in a lot of the theological manuals that the state has the authority to um, to to be the secular arm of the church because it's given the power from the church. And um, yeah, and I, I'm still kind of fuzzy though on a lot of the details behind it. So definitely don't take my word for it. This is just a launching pad to read, um, to read pink and not to uh, just trust my word for it because it is a really good paper. Okay, let me. Get the diamond bros to submit. Could you ask uh, Father James why he thinks the ordinary is temporary and will dissolve? Yeah, I can message him. Okay. I don't know. I don't think. I think Lefebvre was definitely huge with with uh, just. I I should bring on. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, uh, the new Apology Anglicana. He actually um, is a huge fan of of Archbishop Lefebvre, and uh, he'll tell you some good stories about him. But he was he was pretty zealous when it came to kicking out set of a contest, and in his in, in just his practice. Um, of asking the Holy See for for um, and making sure he sought the approval of the Holy See for a lot of things, it just uh, it just showed that he wasn't a practical set of a contest. I went to an independent Anglo-Catholic church with English missal and some occasional Latin based. What's your power level? <laughs> I don't know what my power level. Um, let's think. What's the strongest proof for the office of the papacy, in your opinion? Strongest proof. Uh, I think the most interesting one, I guess if this, this happens, this may not be definitive in your minds, but the most interesting one. Is it has to do with the um, the necessity of a monarch, uh, which which is proven by Saint Thomas that the the best form of government is a monarch, and um, and such, and the perfection of grace on nature would would lead to us to consider and to conclude that the uh, the government of the church, just as the government of states, ought to be monarchical. So that that's that's the most interesting one, at least. I don't know if that's the that's the best one or the strongest one, because I think it does have to do a lot with, um, for example, thou art Peter, and on this rock I've built my church. That doesn't necessarily um, establish the office of the papacy, and um, it's only implicitly and by consequence. So I, I think we just so that's why I 
I despise this sort of back and forth uh, that that occurs since since a lot of these uh, biblical texts are going to be uh, subject to other interpretations. They're going to be um, implicit rather than explicit by consequence rather than um, in, in the given as a proposition itself. So it, that, that's why I like to shy away from all that. I, I hate having to having to get in all that, getting all those weeds and stuff. There's much better people in the papacy than me. But yeah, I think that's the most interesting argument it has to come from natural law. Oh man, I'm 15 minutes behind. I will only, when it comes to the, uh, for the Novus Order, the Latin math, mass, ordinary mass. Okay. Have I read Anselm? Yes, Anselm was amazing. Anselm is just, uh, he's, he's definitely great as a devotional theologian. Don't forget about that New Testament commentary I sent you. I won't forget about it. Are you the actual leader of the Wagner group? I am not. What do I think about the essence and energies distinction? Um, obviously, I think it's wrong as a as a Thomist, but I think uh, the the sort of diorate like absolute divine simplicity thing is a meme because either something has parts or it doesn't. You can't just say it has absolutely parts or i mean i guess you could you could fudge it when it comes to the way in which um essence and energies are distinguished i think essence and energies are distinguished after the manner of um of a non-real distinction because you can have non-real distinctions for example as the attributes of god are distinguished okay um <laughs> The other Paul, your mom. I didn't know he was in the chat when I called it retarded. So did God change the date of King Hezekiah's death, adding 15 years, so not determined from all eternity? No, he did not uh, change the date of his death. Um, so when it comes to uh, Thomistic uh, thought with the doctrine of God, you can still have um, conditional futures. Conditional futures still exist. That's a that's a misunderstanding, but the uh, the conditional futures are are still based on the um, on the decree of God. So yeah, if King Hezekiah um, would would not have um, would not have repented if uh, he decided to keep going on his wicked ways and decided that he was just gonna bleh, and that he and he would have uh, done all that, then yeah, he would have died uh, fifteen years sooner, but he didn't. Because um, he didn't, <laughs> that the, and then the decree of God uh, in in that other um, condition of of actually repenting and turning from his ways and such added fifteen years onto his life. So, okay. Sorry if I'm. <laughs> some people people would disagree with me but the argument that's retarded is a valid way of arguing you know I've gotten to the point just thinking about arguments where there's some that just don't need to be answered Sometimes you just got to throw it out there and just say, well, yeah, that's just a stupid argument. Like, that's just dumb. Like, I'm not going to answer that argument. Like, that's just a dumb argument. 
I don't think that needs to even be ink needs to be wasted in order to treat that argument. I I, I just think it's so self evidently dumb, and we only really need one guy who's just uh, who's just parroting um, the obvious objections to that argument. Okay. What sources do you use for St. Pius X series? Trying to read more on him. There's three good books on him. Um, I don't have them listed right now, but they're all basically called like Pope St. Pius X. They don't have fancy names. Um, there's one that was written uh, right after his ascent to the papacy by a certain cardinal going over his life. And again, I can't remember the cardinal's name. And then there was one which was written um, near the time of his canonization. And there was one that was more academic history. I should, uh, I should grab them. Definitely. I'll start putting them in the descriptions to the videos. Oh, I got to the bottom. Look at that. That's crazy. Okay. I guess I'll, I guess I'll wait for another question and I can see if I can find the links for you guys. Those books. Let me go to Amazon, my orders. I'll just share my screen. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not going to share my screen. Okay. Well, here's one. Um... This is by Cardinal Mary Dove Val. That's his name. Let me just send that. It's only like 100 pages. It's actually pretty. A lot of these are pretty succinct. So there's nice. There you go. Now let me see if I can find that second one. There's a second good one. There's really three. Yeah, uh, yes, the Forbes one. Let me copy and paste that link for you. Oh, yeah, these are all affiliate links, by the way. So even if you don't buy it, just click on it to get my numbers up. Yeah, if you can't if you can't become a patron, just click on my affiliate links all day. <laughs> okay. Where's the third one? That's not it. There you go. Can't find the third one. Ah, I guess those two will do. They're both basically uh, primary sources. Status of Chillstream. Uh, Eric and I were supposed to have one when I was up in Maryland, but we decided against it. We just, we're going to have it chilling in a Burger King parking lot, smoking cigars, but we decided to just chill and talk. 
would you ever do a debate with somebody? Yeah, I, I actually would. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's really good because people do like watching debates. So it would, it would be good to um, people that are interested on the issue. I, I think there's some merit to it, but I think a lot of them are pretty, I'd be pretty picky. A lot of them are pretty, uh, turn out to be pretty useless and people don't know the way in which arguments work. So I think that'd be very difficult. Like if I distinguish, I sub-distinguish the minor premise, they're not going to understand what the heck I'm talking about. And <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 it would be difficult to say the least. Where am I supposed to get a 90, 90s Balkan music reviewed? <laughs> music quotes. Debate Gideon. <laughs> no, I don't think Gideon and I will debate. I, I don't think so. It's not like it's, it's not that Gideon's a bad guy or anything. Gideon's a Gideon's a good friend. I just I just don't think I'd want to debate him. I mean maybe I'm maybe I'm a bit scared. Maybe that's why. Nah, it's just Skoda <laughs> Skoda <laughs> Skodaism is one of those one of those things that are just retarded that you just say it's retarded. And let it move on. Sorry, Gideon, if you're here. I hope he's here, actually. Uh, what characteristic would you like to see the next pope? Like how Benedict was a theologian, Pius XII, a diplomat. I just want to see like a very pious pope, like Pope St. Pius X. Just somebody that just loves God. That, that's who I want to see for the next pope. I, I'm, I'm tired of all this diplomacy and... Uh, in all this stuff. I just want, I just want a Pope who's just gonna just love the church and love mass and everything. You know, it, it's not like the other ones don't, but just, you, you haven't, you haven't had like, I, I know the other ones have been canonized, but it's just not the same as how canonization used to work where it was just like, yeah, you had a canonized Pope like every 200 years because they were just like, insane in their piety something like that how old are you <laughs> I'm not answering the question dude was Pope Francis um, a problem for you when converting to Catholicism not really I mean I knew about the history of the medieval popes so I'm like he's, he's nowhere near as bad as the medieval popes were like, if you know about the Borgia Popes, like, Pope Francis isn't even going to bat an eye for you. Mm. Me clicking on the affiliate links based. I appreciate the books. Thank you. You're welcome, King. Is that the bird Ted Kaczynski talked about singing the car alarm noise? I don't know. Was there a car alarm? I have the headphones on, so I can't really hear anything. I hear, I do hear distant gunshots, though. But that's part of living in living in a country area. Um, 
what happened to the late night chill streams i don't know i think i kind of <laughs> uh what happened to the late night chill streams um i don't know i just I don't know. Maybe I, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I should should do another one here eventually. I have been really busy, so I mean, I've been really thought about a chill stream in like two or three weeks. But it's just like if my YouTube channel gets taken down, then that's like a huge deal, and that would really suck. So I gotta become uncancelable. How old are you? Not telling you, dude. It's, here i'll what i'll do is I'll, I'll be i'll be i'll be uh i'll be like this i will uh post my age on my patreon <laughs> if you're if you're a patron you can have a private call with me where i'll tell you my age how does that sound once if once i hit once I hit five hundred dollars on Patreon, I will I will tell you my age. How does that sound? I need to make money about this. <laughs> now you guys are guessing. Are you between twenty five and thirty, older or younger? I'm not saying, dude. I'm not saying. How good is your Latin? Uh, not amazing, but I mean, like I can, I can struggle through, uh, without a dictionary. Uh, most sections in the Summa, but I think that's a, it's a very specific type of Latin, which is why I can read it. But if you handed me like Augustine or Cicero or any of the classical authors, like I'm not going to know what the heck they're talking about, but I'm just so used to scholastic Latin. But that's really all I need. That's all I'm really interested in. When are you making a link tree, my boy? I already have one. Uh, link.tree. What is it? link.tree slash apologia anglicana and no i couldn't change i didn't i couldn't figure out how to change the link the uh the uh the rest of it so yeah it's just it's just stuck with my old name there you go there's my link tree if you guys are interested i'm gonna go to my blog oh go to the shop look at the books that i've reprinted so uh yeah and then if you like those books become a patron because you can get the pdfs of those books i've just posted them for free on my patreon and I do need to. Um, I have one of the uh, one of the manuals of theology that I've been printed in a while. I need to work on getting that edited. Edited, and then I also do need to work on volume two of Scotus's Ordinatio. How old are you? Not telling you the other Paul. I don't think the other Paul even knows how old I am. Actually, I think I might have told him. I know how old Christian is. Yeah, Bonaventure, because you asked my sister. Yeah, that's right. Bonaventure knows my sister. I would ask for 5K to reveal my age. Yeah. Everybody get me up to 5K so I can like quit my job. Actually, 5K would be way too way too much. Actually, 5K. I guess that'd be like a reasonable amount of money per month. What what country city would you invade if you had command over the Swiss Guard? Well, actually, I would just invade a like very predominantly like Steubenville, Steubenville, Ohio is where 
is where I would invade because I know there's like a large presence of like young Catholic men. So once you take over the one city, then you've just like basically like quadrupled your army with all the people that are going to join. And then you could just slowly start invading Catholic cities and then eventually get up to Catholic countries. So you can just increase the population of your army as you go on. Mr. Wagner, how do you go about learning Latin? Uh, lingua Latina. Uh, lingua Latina is, um, yeah, what you have, L-L-P-S-I. Um, yeah, Lingua Latina is the best. I did, uh, I formally, uh, when I was in high school, I used Wheelux. Uh, but um, kind of like uh, my, my school didn't have Latin, so I just learned it myself, and it wasn't really too helpful. Um, that's just not the way I learned. And then I've taken some classes at Davenant. Davenant's pretty good with Latin. Uh, we just basically just chill and sit around and talk to each other in Latin for like an hour and a half. It's great. Oh, my sister did tell you my age. I know it. Okay, so what is my opinion of Taylor Marshall? Uh, I, I don't know. I think I think both. I'm going to take my, my golden mean right here. And uh, while I answer this question, I will answer one more question. So, yeah, you love the bird sounds in the background. And the, do you hear the shooting sounds, too? I think there's distant gunshots. You guys can hear that one, too. And then also baby crying inside. This is really, this is really kind of a vibe right now. So I will answer one more question uh, after this one. And then I have to go. I got to get dinner. Got to see my son before bed. Okay, so Taylor Marshall, um, I think I think there needs to be a golden mean when we when we think about him. Um, I think there definitely is a lot of cringe stuff, uh, a lot, a lot of dangerous stuff, um, especially when it comes to just twenty four seven talking about how bad Pope Francis is. I think that's um not the best my approach has always been to um to not speak bad about the holy father um online in public um besides more general statements but speaking bad about him 24 7 is really unhealthy for the soul and it's not a um a Catholic way of approaching a, uh, a quote bad pope. So uh, I think that is to definitely be faulted. But I mean, he does a lot of good stuff. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of his stuff is pretty cool. Uh, besides that, that sort of um, 
anti uh, Pope Francis, anti uh, Vatican II stuff. I think a lot of the older videos that he would he would do on St. Thomas, I think a lot of that stuff was good. He's not an idiot. He's a pretty pretty bright dude uh, when it comes to matters of theology, very articulate. He's able to explain things which with much better clarity than I'm able to. So I think uh, I think there's some good aspects to Taylor Marshall. So I'm not I'm not going to just just absolutely hate on him and say that he's an idiot. But I also think some of the stuff's a bit crazy, like um, the fact that Pope Francis was consecrating Russia to Pachamama. That was that was a bit a bit loony. OK, so let's see. OK, so here we have we have SCOTUS based or cringe or what's your opinion of Bishop Barron? Bird sounds are reacting. What's your thoughts on highlighting and marking books? No. My favorite thing about Taylor Marshall is if you write his name in a tweet, then he will find you. I know it's great. I always tag Taylor Marshall when I when I talk about him. He actually will like retweet it or respond or something. It's very helpful. He's very easy to uh, to reach. Everybody say, um, "Oh, you know what? Let's let's have a movement right now." There's there's hundreds of people are going to watch this video right now. There's 21 of you on there. Every single person listening right now and in the future, tweet. Taylor Marshall, and make sure you tag him or write his name out in full so he can find the tweet. Taylor Marshall, have militant interview militant Thomas on your show. <laughs> I bet if if we have enough people tweeting that, then he will find that and he will actually respond to it. Um, so so everybody, twenty two of you right now, go on Twitter, do that right now. <laughs> actually, yeah, yeah, do that right now. We're gonna we're gonna get it done, boys. We're gonna get it done. Okay, so I guess I will answer the question about my opinion about marking books. That is the most important question right now about mark, marking books. Um, it depends. So I distinguish. Um, when it comes to those books which are which I use daily and will use in perpetual use, so such as, um, let's say, my breviary. Um, or my uh, any volumes of my Corpus Thomisticum, so uh, especially my volumes of the Summa, I do not mark those. I do not. I have a separate piece of paper where I will write notes if they so come to me. Um, but when it comes to those books, which I'm going to just read once, oh yeah, I'll mark them the heck up. If you look at my copy of um, Newman's, my, my, the, the place where this gets most explicit is my copy of Newman's On the Evolution of Catholic Dogma. I have that thing marked up so much. I have like the like I have in the margins probably more words than there are on the page on each page. Like I I marked that up. I wrote a whole outline like syllogisms in the back thinking through some of these issues. Like this is it's marked the heck up. So I I I think I think we need to make a distinction between the two types of books. You know, some books are meant to be read once and then maybe referenced back again. And some books are those books which are uh which are nice, uh, well-produced, expensive, and of daily use. And those ought to be treated with uh, much uh, respect. You should scan your own The Evolution of Catholic Dogma. Puts, puts it on Patreon. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be so illegal. Tweet sent. Let's go, boys. 
And it was Marshall's birthday yesterday. Oh, yeah, you can also wish Marshall a happy birthday, too. My Bellarmine book from Christian is scribbled all over. Yes, see, guys, I have read Bellarmine. See? He writes like Aquinas. Yes. Christian Mario, gamer mode. Okay, so I think that's about that's about it. I said that I'm going to go now. So everybody, go go uh, tweet at Taylor Marshall to have Militant Thomas on to interview or to come on my show. I think that'd be that'd be really fun if that actually works. And uh, become a patron. Don't forget that if you want all of those PDFs. And um, yeah, I know. I really it just annoys me so much. Like. I don't, it might actually, I'd have to think through the moral issues of this, the moral quandary. But if the, if the copyright is basically nobody uses it anymore, um, if, if like nobody really cares about it anymore, it's out of print. So obviously nobody can get access to it. Like what's wrong about me scanning it and then just giving the scans away? Like it, it would be, it would be for the good. I, my, my, my chief end is for the good of man. And that that people come to the Catholic faith. So what's so terrible about breaking some arbitrary intellectual rights laws? Like, is it really that bad? Let's let's think about that. Okay, tweet is sent for other people. Thank you guys, and I will let you guys go. And do penance for the kingdom of God is at hand. Glory to God.